Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to the Bar Sailors Premier League podcast. This is your host, Michael, for this episode because Connell is currently in the stages of moving house, so he was unable to join us. I'm joined by my perfectly capable co-hosts, James and Ronan. So in this show, we have a very special interview with Daniel Gee, who is a football lawyer, and that'll be on later in the, the episode. And we're going to do the classic um, review and predictions that we've been doing all season. To be fair, this weekend in the Premier League, all there really was was an Alisson bullheader. He leapt like a salmon and he fucked that thing into the back of the net. I unfortunately wasn't watching the game. Uh, it's my birthday, so I was out doing bits, but I got the notification and I thought there was a typo. But no, he scored. Our goalkeeper scored. Yeah, oh, I, watched, I watched the entire match except for the last two minutes of injury time. It was fucking raging because I think Wijnaldum had a chance with he's, yeah, he fucked with it. a minute to go and he f- skied it. She used, the, she used the, the cliche into Rose Ed. It was awful. And Liverpool had been playing quite poorly anyway, and I just got annoyed and put it on. And as soon as I went up to my room, I just got the note of a, not an occasion. I opened Twitter, and it was James Pierce, just fucking Alison Becker, full caps. I was like, surely not. Ran downstairs in the middle of celebrating. I mean, I'm not it too was, annoyed that I missed it because Alison still scored a goal. But and it was great the way the the Liverpool page on Twitter they had the the graphic commentary. They like, no, they had like the graphic Alison goal, and they're like. Yeah, I never thought we'd ever have to use this. But... <laughs> yeah, it was Johnny Sharp. Johnny Sharp was first reply was like, "How long has this been in the drafts for?" <laughs> it was. It was definitely a massive win in the hunt for Europe, because as of recording, we're recording this on a Wednesday, and Liverpool will be kicking off against Burnley later on, and Leicester and Chelsea played in the league, and Chelsea beat Leicester, so a win tonight will put us above 
Leicester into top form goal difference. So it really is starting to heat up now. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was incredibly pessimistic. Didn't think it was going to happen. But then good win against United. A bullet header from Alison Becker. And it's keeping the dream alive. Yeah, Leicester loss is probably less ideal for us because... You know, if we only win by one tonight and then Leicester went off and beat Spurs by three at the weekend, um, we'd still have work to do on goal difference. Uh, ideally, you would have had Chelsea losing that match and we wouldn't be able to get them on points. But, you know, it's still in our hands. We can still do it. I don't know if we will. But, yeah, definitely a huge goal because it was a really poor performance. Generally, quite a... It wasn't a great performance, and we got lucky because I thought the... I can see why they gave the offside for Kyle Bartley's goal to put West Brom 2-1 up, but I thought it was harsh. I mean, Phillips is standing in front of the keeper, but I don't know if it has that much of an effect on what happens. And even the first goal we scored came from a free kick that I don't really know what the free kick was given for. If anything, yeah, it should have been, been drop, drop ball, yeah. Yeah, and then obviously our goalkeeper scoring a header in the 95th minute. So we got off big time. Um, and I'm hoping we put that get out of jail card to good use, but I don't know if we will or not. I think the worst part about West Brom going 1-0 up is their striker wearing the number four. It is a crime worst. against football. It's it's bad. Van Dyke's number four because he's a big, massive centre-half. Hal Rabson Canu is a bum and he's wearing number four, banging them in for the baggies. Like they're making a mockery of the league. Like, you know, you, you wouldn't mind the West um Big Sam getting cheated though, if out of all the managers, to be fair. Do you know? Uh, well, I don't really mind any team getting cheated if it gives Liverpool a win, to be honest, because we really need this. True, 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 true. But like the blind side in the goalkeeper is a tough one to call. I think Allison should still have his yeah, angles can... covered. I can see why it was given, but if that was given against me, I would be fuming. It, it's just um it's one of those. Yeah, it's one of those. Um, but the, 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 I thought it might have just been a scrappy tapping, but it was an unreal header. It was class. It was so good. And everyone yeah. was so happy when they scored, just the raw emotion. He didn't even get to run to the corner flag and do a knee slide. They were all celebrating in the box. He didn't so know what good. to do. Like, you know, fair yeah, play you wouldn't. No. Like, absolutely crazy. You would have thought Ederson would have scored because he. You would think he's taking the penalties, but no, Allison more goals than Ederson in the league this season. Baller, best keeper yeah, in the league. I mean, a nice moment with like Firmino, Thiago, like the sort of uh, the Portuguese speaking men. They just it was great. Yeah, Thiago, it's, very, very, very good. He has been very good for the last. I'd Slander say, has actually five, done well from five, five or six yeah. weeks. Yeah, look, I, he was bad. Now he's good. It is what it is. Much like Timo, um, huh? But we don't discuss these. Yeah, things unfortunately the for Timo. Him and the boys were un- unfortunate in the cup final, but at the end of the day, Leicester winning the cup final is a win for football. Big time. Yeah, it was yeah I, I love the I love the celebrations with the their owner their owner at the, at the after they lifted the cup as well. Yeah, like you just, I know it's been pointed out loads, but you just never really see that in football. Like you can never imagine uh, FSG going down celebrating the Conkeys going down celebrating the Glazers. It would never happen because there's no relationship between the owners and the players. And the fans of the football club, whereas you know Conviche was was loved uh, quite well by Leicester fans, and it's, it's it's son is in there now, I think, and they just have a really good relationship with the club and the fans. And so, when you think when Chelsea won the Champions League, like Abramovich 
think there'd be some limbs, but you just like oh, it's just business at the end of the day. But it was some goal to win it. Absolute thunder bastard, as some might a say. A classic, an FA Cup classic, like. And it was yeah. the drippy kiss, and the limbs were so good, and the, there was some noise off the Leicester fans when it went in. Oh, yeah, it was so good. Yeah, and then and then the VAR ruling out, out the Chelsea goal, but not ruling on the handball by Perez was. That was scrumptious. It was beautiful. Football like, yeah. beauty. That's what it was. That video of the Chelsea fans where um, they're all celebrating the man behind. Nah, nah, the goal's going to stand. It's going to stand, lads. <laughs> and two seconds later, you can hear the Leicester fans going mad. <laughs> so good. To be fair, we are a bit jealous now, though, seeing like the UK completely nearly back to normality like that. Just Wembley was, it was just vibes. It was great. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was great then, having the fans back. Yeah, all the fans. Um, Obviously, this week in the Premier League, they're back now. I was watching some of the playoff games there. Um, it was a Barnsley one, Barnsley game and the uh, Bournemouth Brentford game. And even at that, there was only two thousand and four thousand fans in each of those games. But it, it's it still made such a huge difference. Um, I think Derry might be getting fans back in. Oh, in the next week or so in the League of Ireland. Obviously, no other teams will be able to do that because obviously Northern Ireland's governed by the. Uh, Westminster and Ireland's North Republic, but yeah, but that would that would still be strange. I know this would kind be of weird topic from English football. No but... way fans though, like naturally. Yeah, no way fans. I'd even like Derry would only have, I'd say, what is it, probably four or five hundred fans in because obviously League of Ireland grounds are much smaller. But even like that dash, it's still good to see Better fans none, going yeah. back in. And in the Premier League, is it a thing that no way fans are allowed? It's just home fans. I think so. Yeah, and Burnley um, for the game tonight. They're doing free tickets for returning fans. I don't know. I think, I, th- I it think it's just Arsenal, fans. Arsenal or Spurs had the most expensive returning. I think Spurs were charging sixty pounds. No for, way. And then Liverpool's oh. forty-five pounds for. Like, like normally when I say normal, like in normal times, that's probably what you'd expect to pay, but. Given the climate of the world at the minute, that's very bad from Spurs. Spurs are yeah, just a Spurs. bad football club in general, though. There's not really anything likable about them. Oh, yeah. that's another talking point for this week. Um, didn't even have that on the agenda for this week. Kane pretty much put in a transfer request. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I, it's hard to see where he'll go because he's going to cost a fortune. Yeah, I don't know. I know United were linked to him and City were linked to him. City probably the only club that can afford them really to be honest like, yeah look at Real and Barca like the financial state they're in yeah, it's it. like Barca getting Aguero like it's a mess I can't remember who said it but um, I've seen somewhere that he prefers to go to City because he sees it as his best option for winning silverware and it probably suits City because City do need a new striker they need um, a new striker <laughs> and he's an absolute because, goal machine yeah like, he would get Gary. ridiculous numbers with City though yeah, he's gar- he's guaranteed to win at least two, two or three Premier League titles. If he today. goes to the, uh, to City, like that, that's them guaranteed Premier League champions next three years in a row. Like I don't care who Liverpool sign or how fit the whole squad is, like it's guaranteed success if he goes there. Like, but United, there's maybe like two or three pieces missing in the puzzle. Like maybe centre back, better holding midfielder. Some Manager, United fans golf, might golf. say. <laughs> some United fans might say a right winger as well and the likes of Jaden Sancho and then realistically United will be making one big marquee signing and be the likes of a Sancho, Haaland or Kane but Connell would be under the impression that 
Daniel Levy hates United and he'd be charging more than what any other club would probably have to pay just because he hates United that much? It just depends. I don't know how long he's left in his contract. Um, we, well, we've already had this debate on the podcast. I don't know if he will leave the season he, he wants to, uh, but he seems a lot more... I think it was Cuddle was saying to me that apparently he wants to have the deal done before the Euros, which that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And no. if he has a good Euros, then the price is going to go up. I am yeah. looking. Her son's going to be left there, like alone. It's going to yeah. be tragic. Yeah, like uh, Spurs are, they'll be struggling when they lose in game because he is arguably the best striker in world football. Probably him and Lewandowski, top two. Lewandowski, Haaland as well. Haaland, Even Haaland. Yeah. Maybe not quite as established yet, but like he's still class. He's imagine, a imagine uh, Real actually do use the buy class buyback clause on uh, Regulon and then get Bale back in as well. Like they are finished. Like there's nothing about Spurs. That's yeah, top end city. And then Son's gonna want to get out of there as well. Yeah, if Kane goes, Son will go. Yeah, Spurs could. Re- it would be hilarious though if, if Spurs just became like a Southampton. Like they're good on their day, but imagine like uh, barely in the top ten team. That'd be beautiful with that stadium. I'd imagine most Spurs fans are of the opinion that the next few seasons is going to be a rebuilding project because Mourinho just didn't work. Sure, they've been imagine... rebuilding for a long, long time. Since Bale left, they've been rebuilding. Like yeah. They spent all the Bale money on absolute bums. Yeah, but they I... established themselves as like a regular top four club for a few years there. You know, they finished third the season, Leicester won-ish. Um, I know they kind of bottled it towards the end. Uh, but then the season after that, they finished second to Chelsea, and then they were in the Champions League again for a few years. They kind of established themselves as a regular yeah. top four club. Yeah, Obviously, they had like the likes of, but had when they had Rose and Rose and Walker on the wings, yeah. like they went for yeah. like, big money. Like Kyle Walker did not Danny Rose, but like they were in flying form. Christian Eriksen and the boys just pulling strings. It yeah, was, and at it the was time they had the, the best centre back partnership in the league with Vertonghen and Alderweireld. Yeah, and now like Alderweireld's well past it. Eric Dyer isn't good Aurier and Doherty not convinced like last year really liked Doherty thought he was a baller but this year nope their only good midfielder is Hoiberg and he's not even that good Deli Ali, he's finished he's changed more like, haircuts than you'd he's hope played who, this season and... if you're a Spurs fan you'd hope whoever goes in there uh, doesn't do what they did with the bail money and completely waste it they go in there and buy decent replacements who you know maybe aren't going to some get of the bail money, money came good though some of it like Eric's yeah like yeah um, like they spent a, I think okay. Lamella was yeah. yeah but even still he was brought in to be the replacement I know that's very hard to do considering how good Bale was with with Spurs back in the day but it's, it's interesting all right but yeah like they're not going to find that like Ajax value the Alderweireld's like like too easy like the lads coming out of uh, Ajax now are like delete those type of ballers that are going for yeah, millions. Dion. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, Bags, yeah. So there's no value for them. They're finished. I think as as exciting as the last weekend could potentially be, pretty much the league is also three teams relegated. There's a spot for one European team, and the rest will be discussed on next week's podcast. So now on we go with the interview with Daniel. Enjoy this one. And now we're delighted to say that we have a fantastic uh, interviewee for this week's episode. We're joined by Dundeal author and Dundeal podcast host, Daniel G. Now, Daniel, you work, you're involved in football, in football law. Um, how, would you, how would you describe your work to the listeners? 
yeah no well, thanks guys for for having me on and the uh the invitation so um yeah i uh i'm a, I'm a, a sports lawyer but a lot of my work here is in football um and within the, the sort of football industry um most of the work that i do tends to be um helping players and agents um so that can usually be in relation to uh, transfers, contract renegotiations, image rights, ambassador deals, disputes, disciplinary matters, um, uh, stuff to do with reputation management, investments. Um, and then on the, the flip side, I do sometimes work and do work with uh, some clubs, um, mainly in relation to club takeover work um, that we've done over the past 10 or 15 years as well. So, um, yeah, combination of mainly player uh, an agency, but also some uh, some club stuff too. Yeah, so you mentioned there you deal with players and agents. Now I know, so coming up now, it's the transfer window, so I'm, you'll definitely be very busy. Now, I was just wondering, there's some players in other sports, for the example, like the NFL, players go unrepresented, so they don't have any agents. But the way the transfers or moves work over there is very different. Do you think it would be possible for a player nowadays to go unrepresented? Well, uh, it's it's a good question and pretty timely is the truth because, you know, it was reported Kevin De Bruyne did that recently with um, with Manchester City and that he had uh, um, uh, lawyers and uh, accountants but didn't actually have an agent and that that might be seen as the way forward for other players to be able to potentially do things. I mean, m- my view tends to be is that, that that's quite an outlier of a position. I think generally, um, you know, for the for the Uber elite players that um, are signing extensions to deals, and they can work out through market intelligence or engaging consultancy firms as to what their value might be, who their comparables are, what the benchmarks might be, and what type of money they're looking for. That there might be an agency commission saving, then as a result, which can be which can flow through to the the player and also might leave a, a cost saving for the club. But I think ultimately, you know, one of the main things that uh, an agent will do very much in the background um, is, you know, protect the player's position in case the player doesn't get a a deal that they believe is um, appropriate um, at the club that they're at. So that then you have either a bluff to be called and you create leverage or you understand the the player's market value in more detail so that um, if that value isn't hit um, with the renewal club, that then there are um, effectively other clubs that would be willing to really purchase their services through transfer fees and signing on bonuses and then, um, you know, uh, the appropriate wage uh, wage bans as well. So my view is is that that tends to be at the moment the outlier i.e unrepresented which means then that you know it'll only be for quite a small number of players that are renewing with their clubs rather than um, looking either for leverage to increase negotiation position or actually because the club doesn't want them anymore or in case they want to leave then you know it's very difficult to not have an agent because the agent has the relationships with the clubs, the sporting directors, the scouts, the technical directors, the directors of football, the owners, the chief executives, the chairman. Um, and, you know, without that pretty um, nuanced network that agents will have and that players and other people around the player almost certainly won't have, um, as well as the, the interplay and the negotiation that we needed in that, um, I think it becomes a pretty difficult um, situation um, or a difficult predicament if, if, a, if a player doesn't have that type of agent um, to, to protect them and to strengthen their position.
obviously there you are talking about how much agents do for players and sometimes it's underestimated how much they do for players but why might a player decide to move on from an agent for example Jesse Lingard was working with Mino Ariola there they've since separated then he got a move to West Ham and he's doing brilliantly so why might a player look to leave uh, his agent well, you know, ultimately it works both ways. There can be lots of different things. The first thing to note is that, you know, in a lot of countries, including uh, England and, and the UK, is that you can only have a maximum of a two-year um, term for a representation contract, which means that, you know, ultimately it can sometimes take quite a while for a for an agent to convince a player who might be at another agency that actually that agency isn't doing particularly well for them and that they actually need to move. Uh, and that usually happens at the end of that two-year period. Um, usually push comes to shove if, if a player manages to sign with that particular agent and agency is that everyone's incentivized really to do the best for the player. Sometimes that might be helping them um, invest in particular um, uh, um, investment products and guarantee their sort of long-term security. It might be that they want to renegotiate a better boot deal um, or, um, you know, provide a certain type of strategy for all of their social and commercial and branding and endorsement opportunities, but almost certainly a lot of it does relate to the on the field um, deals. And and usually that's in relation to, um, you know, either getting a renewal on a deal if they're doing well, uh, making sure that everything is smoothed over when potentially the player isn't playing well and isn't on great form and there needs to be some type of um, extension. Um, And then understanding that player's value in the squad, in the market, how long they have left on their contract and all of the things in between. So if the player feels that either the agent isn't doing a good job with any of those factors and it sometimes can be lots of other things as well like for example the possibility of moving to another agency because that agent is promising new clubs new connections big deals new money whatever else it might be so you get this um continual conveyor belt into the truth of relative insecurity in the agency market whereas if an agent isn't able to do a deal or to show value for that player during that period. And it may well be that they're going to all the games, dealing with all of the issues, dealing with all of the family and and wider individuals that there might be um, in and around the the player. If the player isn't happy with the the on-the-field stuff that the agent isn't able to do, renegotiating deals or vice versa, then that can sometimes lead to, you know, breakdowns in the relationship. And that's when ultimately, um, you know, people sometimes go their separate ways. Yeah, I was watching your TikToks um, and when Cunnell first mentioned that question, I thought it might have been because agents' fees might have been too high. But then from watching your TikToks, I found that the club pays the agents' fees. I found that very strange. How come the club pays pays it and then not the player? Yeah, um, the short answer is, um, you know, historical behaviours. if we take it back to its, you know, original, not original, but its basic shape, what, what really happens, which is different to US sports, is that um, if, for example, a player paid his or her agent, they would be paying his or her agent out of their net salary from their pay, PAYE. Um, and um, because of the quirks of the tax system in the UK, well, actually, that means is that um, players cannot recoup that commission out of their annual return for example it's not a deductible expense 
And so because of that, and because then a player would be quite largely out of pocket in paying their agency agents, maybe 5%, 10% of their basic wage or basic salary, that would obviously be a significant amount of money. So what happens instead is as a benefit to the player, clubs have tended over the last few decades to say to the player and the player's agent, okay, as the incentive to join us or to pay more or less accordingly, we will pay, we the club will pay you, the, your agent, on your the player's behalf. And what happens then is that, um, you know, uh, the club will pay the amount, but actually that is still a benefit in kind payment um, uh, by the club indirectly to the player, uh, like a company car or medical insurance if you're employed, for example. And that means is that HMRC, the tax authorities, will, t- will still demand 47% of the value of that benefit in kind. So very briefly, without going into too much taxation issues here for everybody that's listening, but ultimately then it is potentially uh, more tax efficient then to um, request or for the club to pay on the player's behalf and only have to pay 47% of the amount rather than pay the agent, pay the player to pay his agent out of their net salary which obviously is after tax has been deducted and they can't recoup that against um, um, expenses. So that's historically why and how that's, uh, that's happened. But I don't want to uh, go on for too long about the, the, the UK tax system in different ways, but happy to delve into more detail if necessary. Yeah, so it's essentially, it's, a, it's an unwritten rule that you just instantly set yourself at a disadvantage if you didn't pay the agents as a club. You know, a player could say, all right, I'm not going to United because I'm not paying the agent. I'll go to Chelsea instead. Just, yeah, yeah, but but every club really does offer yeah. the same um, benefit is the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not some type of, um, you know, uh, tax loophole or anything. Ultimately, the tax and significant tax is still being paid to HMRC for the different services that are going on. Um, it's that, you know, the default position is under the representation contract between the player and the agent. Let's just say the, the player has to pay the agent 5%, but that can be overridden, overridden by another agreement that's signed by all the parties, the player, the club and the agent to do things in a different way. Yeah, you mentioned um, at the start when we were introducing, you get involved with transfers. So you're a sports lawyer. So what stage of the transfer would you get involved in? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And the, the, the usual answer is it just depends because I, I work across lots of different uh, agencies and within those agencies, there are tons of different agents and I have different relationships with each of them. Some um, agents will uh, want quite a lot of assistance very early on in the transaction when, for example, you know, they began negotiating or even before they began negotiating with the, um, the selling club um, uh, in relation to transfer fee and wages and other things and whatever else it might be. Other times with particular agents, I'll only be brought in very, very last minute, i.e. when the deal is about to be sealed on that particular day and the agent will say, can you just have a quick look through just to make sure there's nothing um, to amiss, uh, which obviously is not, not the ideal situation um, in truth. 
So usually in the build up to a window, I will, and I've always sort of been doing it over the last you know month or so, is speaking with all of my agents, clients, agency clients, and agents just to say, look, what's happening? You know, what are you thinking about this player? What's happening with this club? You know, is this a possibility? Just to get a, an idea about what what is likely in the market. And usually um, things change, things iterate, think people adapt, clubs adapt. Um, and uh, unexpected stuff happens. But on the whole, I can get a good picture before the window starts about, you know, the ideal scenario about what will happen. But in the end, the important thing that I always say to, you know, agents that I haven't worked that much with is that, you know, I don't want to be an agent. Um, my role isn't to be an agent. It's almost to be a complementary service for an agent, which is, you know, the agents are negotiating the commercial terms like <coughs> wages, signing on fees, bonuses, um, remuneration structures etc I'm there to give my expertise on the drafting of the documents and the conversion of those commercial commercials into actual um, legal contractual documentation and then make sure it all reads well that the regulations are adhered to that things are done in the right way and then offer some strategic advice if I, if I need to. You spoke there about uh, transfer deals is deadline day absolutely mental is it as crazy it seems from the outside looking in and do details sometimes by agents or clubs do they just kind of get thrown out the window if they feel they need the striker or you know how how mental is it yeah it's not the truth is it looks glamorous but it's really not much fun at all um because it can be pretty pressurized um and you know uh I always think it's easy for for fans to see um, deadline day as something which is almost like, um, you know, deals come out of the blue, Um, you know, the six hours to go and maybe we need a striker. So we're going to have to try and sign someone really quickly. You know, usually I have to say is what, what tends to happen and why deadline day sometimes in the past has been the way it has been is, you know, sometimes there's lots of games of brinksmanship going on at the same time and lots of pieces of, chess really going on so you know and I almost think the deadline day is almost a day of multiple dominoes if that's the right way of putting it it's like if one thing happens then that leads to a knock-on effect for another thing which happens which knocks on something else which knocks on that and it's only when certain things happen do does that thing unlock another deal or the potential for another deal so you know usually it's actually a lot of the ways agents ingenuity in seeing gaps and seeing opportunities and working out of a player is going to lose their striker or their left back or their reserve centre mid or wherever else it might be and they have good relationships with that agent or agency and they see that potentially moving but you know ultimately there are proactive things that the bigger clubs tend to do because they've got more money and the reactive things that happen um, with lots of different clubs when they see opportunities in the market to do certain things depending on what clubs are doing on what the player thinks on what other uh, you know individuals and stakeholders are doing too so um, yeah, deadline day is very, very reactive, but I sometimes see that as the flexibility in the system is the truth. Um, but, you know, things can't just be done on an hour or two's notice. A lot of those deals might still have been, you know, months in the uh, months in the making. And it only be because one particular deal then goes through or doesn't, which then leads an opportunity for something else to happen as a result. Yeah, that's definitely very interesting because whenever you watch it on the likes of Sky Sports, and the reporters outside the training ground or the ground, it just seems like such a party atmosphere. But from your perspective, it's definitely a very, very hard job getting all that. And it's interesting that the the deals on deadline day, they've been brewing sort of, because you think 
it's deals that are just made then and there. Like if a club needs a striker, as you said, it'll be done in two hours. But it's interesting to see that it takes a time period for these deals to go through. It's completely right. And just very briefly, you know, um, it's all usually about relationships is the truth as well. Like, like in a lot of things, it's that, you know, agents need to feel that when and both and both the chief executives or sporting directors or directors of football, um, it's sort of a reciprocity where, you know, if an agent's phoning up a sporting director, they need to sporting director needs to feel that they can deliver on what they're going to do and vice versa. If the sporting director phones up the agent and says, we're interested in this player or this is a particular thing or can this work? So, you know, that relationship of, you know, if an agent's trying to do a deal, um, the deal won't happen if, you know, there isn't that um, firstly relationship, but desire to get something done. Um, And, you know, it's very unlikely that things happen very, very, very quickly because you've got to do medicals, you've got to, put the paperwork in place you've got to be able to agree terms usually you know you want the player there or thereabouts to be able to understand where they're going to fit into the system granted that always can't necessarily be the case um but at the the, the higher level you know it, it, it takes days to to get things done generally yeah obviously one of the major um major storylines in football but not only football one of the major news stories of 2021 was the European Super League and obviously that got thrown out of the window very quickly uh, quickly thankfully um but is there any is there any ground for any legal action against these clubs whether it be from UEFA or the Premier League you know it, it might be quite early at this stage to, to know there's not really any instance where something like this has happened before or perhaps there is maybe you can give some insight so what do you think could potentially happen to these clubs, if anything? Well, we're, we live in history. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, just generally over the last 18 months, never mind, just in football. Um, and I think we'll look back on these times um, with sort of mixed emotions is the truth in terms of, you know, um, how did so much happen in such a short period of time um, is the truth. The interesting way that you frame the question um, goes both ways is the truth. So, you know, Juventus and uh, Madrid and is it Barcelona still that, you know, they disciplinary action has been started has been instigated by UEFA. Um, So, um, and, you know, Juve have been threatened with being thrown out of Syria unless they denounce, you know, their Super League plan. So there's lots and lots of nuances in all of this because the flip side of that at the same time is... um, they, those three clubs, are uh, presumably instigating some type of legal process against the clubs that have backed out of the supposedly binding um, uh, Super League contracts with quite big termination, costly termination provisions. So there is definitely an internal process going on there. In the, the Spanish courts, if reports are to be believed, the Spanish courts, um, through the uh, ESL clubs, the remaining ESL clubs, have asked questions of European law to the European courts around whether um, a Super League is possible to be instigated and whether UEFA is actually breaching competition law by effectively uh, forbidding that process from putting disciplinary steps in place um, and from supposedly pressurising the other clubs to uh, back out. So there's there's lots going on. There is... um, you know, uh, 
a Madrid court case, there is UEFA proceedings, there are internal proceedings around leaving the Super League between the clubs, there are currently Premier League in Premier League and Football Association investigations, and there is National League investigations going on uh, at Premier League level, at Serie A level, etc. So there are so there are quite a lot of outstanding points going on, and there has to be a query about how significant a sanction might be that UEFA might impose on the three remaining clubs if they, um, you know, don't join the other nine clubs in, um, you know, um, disassociating themselves with um, the European Super League. So, and then you know, um, uh, the, the the Premier League chief executive. Um, uh, Richard Masters came out, uh, James Masters came out pretty recently and then said that, you know, there's a lot of healing to do really between um, the, the breakaway six um, clubs um, and, and the rest of the 14 clubs. So, you know, politically, there's an awful lot, I, I'm sure, going on behind the scenes to try and um, build bridges, um, you know, and mend, uh, and mend relationships. And staying on the Super League, it was interesting because you think uh, all the talk about it was these clubs are going to get thrown out of their domestic leagues. But then there was the whole idea of these players won't be able to play in UEFA and FIFA tournaments. So the likes of like Ronaldo and Messi wouldn't be at the next World Cup. How can FIFA do that? Because that's such a large cohort of the best players in the world. So that'll yes. put a dampener on things. Like, How is that allowed? To, how are they able to do that? Well, there's, there's definitely a question mark as to whether that would have been uh, legal, proportionate and uh, and um, fair. So that is one of the questions that I believe the, the Spanish courts might be asking of the European courts as to whether UEFA and FIFA would have actually had that power to be able to um, to be able to prohibit those players playing in international competition. I think ultimately, from from the governing body's perspective, they had to use that leverage in different ways. Firstly, for a potential ban from European competition, and secondly, a ban from the players playing in the clubs um, to play in then international competition in order to um, you know maximise their leverage and threat, um, because you know that combined with the closed semi closed nature of the qualification criteria. Um, and also, you know, effectively those 12 clubs taking on 4 billion euros worth of debt that JP Morgan was going to distribute out, but then obviously, would, you know, want back by way of financing over a particular period of time. Um, you know, there are there are lots and lots and lots of those type of issues which which sort of cropped up. So um, I uh, and, you know, without going into too much um you know, we've talked tax already. I don't want to talk too much competition, legal uh, competition law, but you know there have been cases around ice skating and uh, MotoGP around um, a breakaway league being disciplined, uh, effectively being sanctioned by the um, incumbent governing body, um, and and the participants being um, uh, punished as a result for wanting to break away. And those types of deci- those decisions came down in favour of the. Um, really of the breakaway um, organizations because those incumbent organizations were seen uh, as effectively holding lots of different um, roles as regulator, as competition organizer, as commercial monetizer, and as the gatekeeper, really. Um, And so, you know, 
I think uh, let's wait and see what happens with these referral questions to the, the super league, uh, from the super league clubs from the Madrid league from the Madrid courts to the European courts. But ultimately, I think what may play its course out before that is possibly um, UEFA proceedings um, regarding disciplinary action for probably next year's Champions League. And you know, it can't it can't be ruled out that serious sanctions might be imposed on those clubs who um, you know don't disassociate themselves with the Super League. Pretty pronto. It'd be intriguing to see what happens. Either way, something to definitely keep an eye on. But again, something kind of linked to the Super League is the question of club ownership and possibly fan ownership in uh, a way through the 50 plus one rule that you see implemented in Germany. Now, obviously, this rule isn't perfect. Um, RB Leipzig have managed to get around it. And obviously, they're maybe not the most. Um, ethical club in the way that they've got their recent success they've got a way around the rules there but do you think it could be at all feasible that it could work in any other league and as it's a premier league podcast do you think it could happen in the premier league well i uh, when when people have asked me this question before clients and and contacts and you know people like you guys on on various shows the 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 question that i always pose to everyone asking the question is what what does everybody want with the 50 plus one rule? Because, uh, and people usually aren't, have different answers to it. Um, it might be that actually what fans want isn't necessarily to run a football club, but it is the ability to be consulted on really big structural issues impacting on the club. And that's a very different um, idea to owning and running a multi-billion pound club or entity regardless if it's Premier League or Championship or further down the pyramid um, I also think practically it, it's incredibly difficult and to envisage a situation where the government are going to legislate to um, remove um, majority share holdings from um, owners of billion pounds um, and million hundreds of million pounds um, football club entities so I think the real question is what fundamentally do does the football family and particular stakeholders want from um, a post project big picture and European Super League world? Is it much better consultation on real structural issues that impact the football pyramid? Quite possibly. Um, if it's to do with um, you know governance and the owners and directors tests and who should be an owner and ongoing obligations. If it's to do with um, finance, for example, and financial fair play or cost control and wages not spiraling out of control. Um, uh, if it's about more sensible, um, you know, collaboration uh, between the ownership groups and ownership and, and fans, then, you know, there's a whole raft of different um, um, considerations which go beyond just, well, all fans need to own more than 50% of their club because the fans know best. And I think that is, um, you know, a difficult distinction or rather that statement's a difficult statement to back up with. The real question is what the fans want to have a better say in to uh, manage and protect and, you know, best forward their interests for those that are, you know, effectively custodians of the game. Of, of the clubs that they see rather than the owners of, of their club. So you mentioned as well, your man working in sports. So a lot of our listeners, they might be looking to branch into 
working with sports because it's definitely a very interesting area. A lot of our fans be sort of college students, maybe looking to get the first job after college. What would be your the best advice you could give to any any person looking to get a job working with sports? It's counterintuitively actually the most important thing, which is don't worry about getting a job in sports in the short term. And I know it's a weird one to say, but just just hold on for a second and I'll try and explain it. Um, I can only take my example as a lawyer, you know, for the best part of almost 10 years, I wasn't really doing that much sports and football work. And um, that's built up over the last 10 years or so of me doing a lot more work. Um, but the reason why I say that is that generally when you get to an entry level point at the start of your career and people out of school, college, university or otherwise, you know, there's a real funnel for sports jobs, i.e. because there's a lot of people who don't, you know, have a huge amount of um, expertise and skill set that wants to get into sports. And let, let's you know, be honest about this. It can be so it can be such a range. It could be, um, you know, social media to marketing to um, stadia to events to accountancy to communication to PR, whatever, whatever those areas into sports at various you know, different levels might be. My view generally is to actually to build up um, a skill set in a sector that interests you. So if I just take marketing, for example, or, you know, social media, whatever else it might be, you know, it might well be that actually you want to become a marketing um, executive in sport. My view actually would be is that there's much more, there's much greater variety um, of roles outside of the sports sector. And my view is, is that actually a lot of the time, the best thing to do is to initially work in a sector where it's easier to potentially get a job, that entry level job. You build your skills up across a particular sector or set of sectors, working with loads of interesting clients. And then three or four years later down the line, when you've worked on loads of great projects, you've done great campaigns, you've worked with loads of people, clients, you understand the office environment better, how to send good emails, how to do presentations, how to work with colleagues, how to get out there in the marketplace more generally, you will much more likely have a greater set of skills that you can then use to be able to then market yourself right if and when a sports role, if that's still what you want to do, comes along. And then what effectively happens, I think, is that in a way, sport needs you more than you need sport because you've got something real substantive to offer rather than just the passion, the interest, the, the, the talking about it all the time, the, the current awareness of everything that's going on. You can still mix all of that, but with a more substantive skill set based on years of experience in an area that still interests you. And then you can combine those two. So. I think the really important thing to, that I would stress is that don't worry about getting into sports in the short term, because if you really want to get into sports in the short, in the medium to long term, you, you can do. But what you need to understand and a lot of people need to understand, which is a difficult one to think about, is everybody's path doesn't go like just straight it literally goes, you know, it's a, it's a winding road a lot of the time. And just because your first, second, third, fourth role in an industry isn't in sport or the particular sport or in sector that you want to do, doesn't mean that it can't be in the, in the long term. And that's why persistence and resilience and, um, you know, keeping on going and building your skill set and growing your network and building better knowledge on, you know, the areas that you want to work in will, will hold you in good stead. So hopefully I've tried to explain that a bit, which is, you know, you want to get into sport, 
don't worry about sport in the short term. That doesn't mean like don't be obsessive about sport. That absolutely means if you love football, keep reading about the business of football, keep reading about financial statements of the stuff that's going on, keep understanding how the industry works rather than just the results on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. But at the same time and in parallel, get your skill set going. Build those relationships, do those things in whatever sector it might be. And then you'll be open to those possibilities a little bit later down the line um, to, to then making it in. Because I guarantee most people that are in the sports sector, a huge amount of them did not start out in the sports sector, me included, and a lot of other people. And I think that's the fallacy, which is just because you don't need to, you're not starting off in there doesn't mean you can't get in there. And that's probably, uh, yeah, the motivational speech side done from my side. <laughs> It's unfortunate. Uh, one of our co-hosts, Ronan, he's an absolute football nut. Obviously, he's on our podcast and he's doing law. So uh, it should be interesting for him to to listen back on that. I'm sure it's something he'd uh, aspire to go into. Now, obviously, this is a football podcast. We've spent the whole time talking about football. But I was just, you know, researching the guest before you came on and I was on your LinkedIn and I couldn't help but notice that do, do you have a role to do with the EuroLeague in basketball? Because we mix yeah. our are also uh, big basketball fans. So I was as well impressed to see that. Could you briefly explain what you what you do with the EuroLeague? Yeah, so I'm um, on a committee called the MCC. And the MCC um, uh, looks into uh, the financial accounts of all of the different EuroLeague um, clubs to ensure compliance with all of the financial control rules. And so my role alongside two of my colleagues, independent colleagues, is to assess their accounts and all of the submissions on a a rolling basis to make sure that they adhere to the particular types of financial controls on budget and on um, a variety of different overspending criteria and ratios and um, overdue payable issues and that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a... I, I wasn't a massive basketball fan, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But since I've worked with EuroLeague for uh, yeah, a decent while now, I'm you know, privileged to go to the final four tournaments every, um, every summer. Unfortunately, I won't be able to go to this year's in Cologne and work with, um, you know, a fantastic team. Um, yeah, and it's, it's been really, really enjoyable and a real eye-opener. Um, so, yeah, although a lot of my work is in football, you know, I, I class myself as, you know, someone that does quite a lot of work in basketball, actually, as well. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah, exciting stuff. Who's your basketball team? Well, it wouldn't be right for me to say is the truth. Um, at the least, NBA, if you keep the league separate, yeah. if you were to go NBA, who would you, who would you be wanting to win this year? Um, I, I Look, Steph Curry is the guy that, I absolutely adore um, is the truth from the stuff that I read about him and the rest. But, you know, I grew up as a, uh, as, you know, a very casual uh, Bulls fan because of Pippin and uh, Jordan and Rodman is the truth. And after obviously watching the last dance, that was sort of, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, an amazing sort of reflect recollection of sort of some of my childhood and some of the, the games on my Sega Mega Drive that I used to play um, back in the day as well. So, um, yeah, I would say I would say Bulls. Um, although now it's sort of you know Golden State. Yeah, but yeah, Bulls, Bulls, good shape. Let's go Bulls. Uh, I'd certainly follow them as well. So, just maybe again on a sort of light note, is there any like bizarre clauses in any contract? You know, there's been a couple that have been well documented. Luis Suarez had a, a no biting clause in his Barcelona contract, I believe. 
I think Stefan Schwartz, going back quite a while, had a, uh, a clause that he couldn't go into outer space. Uh, is there any other ones that maybe have went under the radar that you found quite strange? Well, there was, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I write about them in, in Dundee quite a lot, actually. And I sort of came up with a sort of top 10 list. And one of the ones that was reported a while back was through a player that um, actually played for Liverpool called uh, Neil Ruddock, who was um, ex-Spurs as well. And um, it was reported that, um, you know, so he was he was quite a big guy. And I think later on in his career, obviously, he had a bit of trouble with his weight. And I think one of the sort of incentive, the weight incentive clauses in his Crystal Palace deal was that if he went over a certain weight, that there would be um, a reduction in his wages um, as a result. Um, so, yeah, there was a report that there was a weight reduction clause and that, you know, even more bizarrely, and I, I don't know whether this is actually true or not, but it was reported is that, you know, when uh, you know, Ruddock was supposed to make his debut for Palace for one particular game, but um, couldn't actually make his debut because they couldn't find shorts big enough for him um, because obviously they had been uh, maybe put on a few pounds Um but yeah, the, you know, there were clauses like there used to be a Neymar's deal with Barcelona about flying friends over for, for weekends, free weekends for when um, they could go out and party a little bit more. Um, you know, there were, uh, you know, Stigging Bjornaby wasn't allowed to go skiing because his dad was a very big, I think, Norwegian Olympic skier as well. So, yeah, there's, there's lots of different um, ones, including the Stefan Schwartz one, where apparently the backstory was is that um, before the transfer to Sunderland, the Sunderland club secretary read in an, an interview that he had done that one day he would like to go into space. So I think just to uh, um, cross off those possibilities, I think, yeah, then they put something in the deal to make sure that at least he wasn't going to go to space during, uh, during the contract, which is probably sensible. So just to wrap up this really quite fantastic interview with yourself, Daniel, we know you're a Liverpool fan, so I'm just going to ask you some quick fire questions. Oh, so okay. w- what is your favourite um, footballing memory? I'm going to go with... Uh, can I do two? I'm going to do two. Yeah, yeah work away. Istanbul. Uh, and Connell, I'm just talking about that because obviously, do you remember Istanbul 2005 when <laughs> Liverpool were 3 0 down? And we, no, we came... don't actually. Yeah. It was four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, just in case, I'll, I'll give you a minute by minute. Um, yeah, yeah. remind. Um, and the other actually is. Um, uh, I'm just toying between two. It was actually the yeah the the Chelsea Liverpool um, Luis Garcia ghost goal back in 2005. Just because you know Liverpool had a pretty average team, um, and you know we were more or less one game away from that Istanbul final, and no one really thought we were going to get near that final. Is the truth? But we thought on a one-off game against Chelsea, we could possibly do it. And, you know, regardless of whether the ball was over the line or whatever and we won the game, the, the noise that night at Anfield, like it was packed at 6.30 for an eight o'clock game. And I've, I've, I've still to this day never experienced noise like that um, in a game at Anfield. And I think it was in part the sort of actually the desperation that everyone's parents and grandparents had heard about these amazing Liverpool teams that had won European Cup finals and it had been so long since Liverpool had won the European Cup that that sort of desperation of thinking we could actually get through to a final here with, you know, players that weren't, you know, far from top class, but collectively um, had some, you know, incredible players like Alonso and Carragher and Hippier and Gerrard, obviously, as well. Um, that, yeah, that, that, that night was, uh, that night was, yeah, pretty special. 
So who's your all-time favourite player? I have to I have to say Gerard, uh, but my but Luis Suarez was like nothing I'd ever seen play at Liverpool before, and I've you know I've been lucky enough to see Fowler and Torres and Owen, um, you know, and others as well. Suarez for about eighteen months was just playing football on another planet. Um, it was amazing to watch him play, especially alongside Gerard. Yeah, those are two players I can definitely get behind. Probably my two favorite Liverpool players. So, well, I haven't experienced so many good days as a Liverpool fan, but recently it's, it's been getting better. And one word to describe Liverpool's season. I, uh, I'm going to say two, which is I don't mind. I Three, sorry. <laughs> I don't <laughs> mind, you know, because I think the thing that I say to all of my, all of my friends and my family is just like, you know, um, Connor will see it as well, is like the, the beauty of football is that it goes in cycles and circles you know United had the most incredible spell under one of the best managers of all time in Ferguson Um, and Liverpool for the best part of three years were playing some of the best football that I've ever seen in my existence you know and you know we're sweeping through teams and going to semi-finals and finals and missing out on leagues and then winning the league and going to Champions League finals and winning stuff um, with you know, one of the best teams and some of the best players that Liverpool have ever had. And so, you know, the, the point of being a supporter is going through the rubbish um, or relative rubbish times in order that when those, those, those particular instances arise where you can get to a final, go through adversity, win things, um, it just makes it all that better. So the truth is, is that you know, Liverpool not doing brilliantly this season. There's loads of reasons, partially self-inflicted and partially through injury and everything else that comes along with it. But the whole point of being a fan is, you know, you've got to you've got to stay there and be objectively critical. But also, you know, the, a supporter means you give support, and it usually means it's un, it should be to a degree and. Um, you know, uh, it should be undeniable that that's the fact. So I, I don't mind Liverpool's season because uh, we've still got a, one of the best managers in the world, um, some brilliant players that are playing for us. So I think sometimes you just got to enjoy the game that's in front of you. Like I've got friends at the moment that just can't watch the game at the moment because they're not sure what's going to happen. I'm like, that's the very reason why you've got to watch the game. <laughs> not because you think there's a really good chance of Liverpool winning, but because we're not going through a great time and there's a chance we might not. Um, and that you've got to be able to celebrate success and failure in the same breath sometimes, unfortunately. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. It's one thing that winds me up about football fans sometimes. So this go over the top and try to overanalyze sometimes when you know Liverpool have had a big drop off. You know, our local team Dundalk at the moment were were dominant for years, and at the minute they're they're pretty bad. But sometimes it just happens. Just uh, you know, the cycle of a team just comes to an end, and there's things you can do to try and minimize that drop off. But sometimes it's just it just happens. Uh, and you've just got to accept it and just wait until they're good again. So, yeah, no, absolutely agree with that, Daniel. Um, so I think that just about wraps up our, our interview with you. Thanks very much for, for coming on. You've been a fantastic guest and hopefully we'll have you on again sometime. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. I'm back on to the predictions now. So, unfortunately, we do not have the league as it stands going into the final game week of fixture, but no doubt it'll be a spicy enough affair. So we'll be reviewing five games as always. I'd say James is probably 
Still flying high to top. No, Connell's five points. Clear. No, Connell. Connell what? got three. Connell got three scores correct this weekend. Oh Bang no! On. But he, oh. but he could. But to be fair, he could say that because I don't particularly care and I don't check my results or remember them. So he could be. He could, there could be dodgy work behind the scenes with this fella. You, you don't know. No, I think I think he got the. He definitely got the Liverpool one. Right yeah, yeah, really. yeah. True. Um, might need to have an inquiry with the court of arbitration for sport after the end of the season. Good. But Possibly. but there are there. The last weekend, there's definitely some good games planned. Uh, probably in terms of the two teams, the best game is Leicester and Spurs. So I will get Connell's score here. Uh, so Connell went for a two-all. So Leicester dropping more points. Yeah, and this could potentially be Harry Kane's last ever game for Spurs. I see Leicester nipping at 3-2. I just think Spurs are bad. Leicester are better, so that's as simple as it is for myself. I'm going to say three uh, one here. Sorry, I'm going to go for a. I'm going to go for four two, and I think Kane's going to score four two to Leicester. Sorry, I think Kane's going to score both goals for Spurs because obviously that he's level on the top goal scoring charts now with Salah, two of them neck and neck. Um, so we'll probably want to because I'd say he's probably going to miss out on Team of the Year and he's probably not going to win Player of the Year, so he'll want to get that golden boot under his belt. Uh, yeah, I just think it's, it's collection. too important for Leicester to not win this one, um, especially how ropey Liverpool have been. Like, even against West Brom, we weren't convincing, so we could easily drop points against Burnley or Crystal Palace. So obviously it must win for Leicester, but... Um, see, see when you get the Cadbury's golden boot, do you think you get one that's the same, only in chocolate? Chocolate. Somebody, somebody put up a photo up of the golden boot that they use for the uh, lower divisions, like League One and the Championship, and it's tiny. It's like a child size eight boot. <laughs> it's great. Brilliant. That is brilliant. So a former golden boot winner is in this next fixture with Arsenal and Brighton. Just two miserable teams. Travis Scott, he's not been up to it this season. And Brighton, uh, they live to fight another day, but Connell has gone for a 2-1 Arsenal victory, and I'll just agree with him. Uh, I definitely will not be watching this one because it's just going to be poo-poo. Like, uh, I'm going to go for the reverse 2-1 to Brighton because they finished the season quite strong at Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal don't have anything to play for. They don't have anything to play for. And Brighton, off the back of a win against Man City, probably be a bit more confident. Um, so... I fancy them in this one. Yeah, Trossard made an absolute show with the C defense. Obviously, it was when Cancelo was sent off, but it was fantastic to watch. So I'm going to go for a 1-1 here. I think they're just going to frustrate Arsenal, so it's going to be that uh, Mopai tie rivalry all over again. So, uh, yeah, 1-1. Unfortunately for Ty, Brighton will not be relegated. Maybe next year. But Trossard sending Ruben Diaz back to Benfica was very good. The Aldi Hazard and then the next game, Villa, Chelsea. Chelsea there, hopes the top four, probably secured now at this stage with the, their win against Leicester. And then they can just set the focus now on the Champions League final, which will be in a couple of weeks. Connell has gone for a 3-1 Chelsea win. And I'm going to go for a 4-0 Chelsea win. I think they'll be in good spirits after beating Leicester, although they lost in the cup winning the league and then they'll be in a decent-ish form for Champions League night in a couple of weeks. Who are they playing? They are playing Aston Villa. 
Yeah, I'm going to go for 2-0 win. I watched Villa at the weekend and they were kind of not great. They've just kind of fallen off from where they were at the start of the season. Jack Reage is back, but yeah, I wasn't overly impressed. Yeah, I think they're just going to get over the line here. I think it's going to be a decent enough 2 in for, two, two nil in there for <laughs> It's going to be a 2 nil Chelsea win here. Um, not too much to say about it. They're looking ahead, obviously, to the Champions League final, so they're just going to be maybe resting a few men. So 2 nil the Chelsea. And then the next one will involve the well they soon to be crowned uh Premier League champions they've wrapped up the league so they'll be getting the L trophy be Manchester City versus Everton Everton at the start of the season they were flying uh early doors people would have said maybe they they could sneak top 4 uh with Rodriguez and the men playing very well really but unfortunately their season will end with a fat L Cullen also agrees. He's going for a 3-1 Man City win, and I'm going to go for a 5-1 Man City win. I think Everton still have an outside chance of finishing seventh, which would be Europa Conference League for next season. Uh, but they're not going to get it and go for 2-0 City win. I'm going to go for a 4-1 City win. I think City just need to bash them going into the Champions League final, get a bit of momentum back. Aguero will be his last Premier League game with City, a true legend. Of... The only thing he can put in the back of the net is a bag of chips when he's finished. Like... And you know, maybe going to Barca. If he is going to Barca, he might start banging him in with his pal Lionel Messi, but Messi still has to sign that fat contract. He'd just be contract. like a worse Suarez, surely, though. He's just a much of a mess as far as Suarez is banging them this season to got rid of him. Uh, Suarez, Suarez is a baller. Suarez has fallen off majorly second half of the season, but yeah, simple ass. True, that's what I mean, but Aguero surely is still worse than, than Suarez. Aguero's a fat bastard, so... Exactly, like, <laughs> they're a mess for us, so they're finished. But anyways, Aguero, uh, a legend of the Premier League, definitely with us growing up in our teenage years, he was he's just a goal machine. But anyways, Liverpool, Palace, our last game. Hopefully Roy's last be... game. All right, another Liverpool legend. But yeah, Connell's going for a 3-0 win for Liverpool with all going well with the result against Burnley would secure top four. I'm going to gonna say it's going to be a tight one. I think Liverpool will nick at 1-0. You don't want to say another Alisson ball ahead or but I mean, strange, stranger things have happened. But yeah, 1-0 Liverpool. Uh, I was going to go for a very pessimistic draw here, but I have to be somewhat optimistic. I'm, I am going to say Liverpool. I'm going to say Liverpool win because I don't want to be just the most horrible negative fan. I, yeah, I'm probably going to say 1-0 as well. I really don't fancy us in these last two games, Burnley and Palace. The only thing, though, having the fans back would, would put them on and that's what has me kind of scared for the game with Burnley. Them having home fans back has been the first time fans in the stadium in a while. They might be trying to kill us dead, so it's kind of scary. Hopefully we get through Burnley tonight as well. Obviously, past game might not mean anything if we end up losing tonight, but yeah. I'm gonna go for a hopeful one nil. Look, I think we'll get through Burnley, but I'm gonna go for the one one here simply oh, because it's Roy's last game. They're gonna play see you again, mate. It's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be awful. <laughs> Nine at the back with Zaha up top. 
Zaha twerking for him, like trying to distract the man. Like yeah, it's gonna, not... it's gonna be a Benteke goal as well. <laughs> it will be. Oh, Benteke has been scoring. Day. He's he's been in good form the last few weeks. Like he's been a resurgent striker. Yeah, I think I think he's just, I think he's on ten goals for season now. After his yeah, goals, and it was not... pretty, it was all the last one week basically. <laughs> the mess. Ninety seventh minute equaliser. Christian Benteke ruins it. Oh, Could you imagine God. that though? Like just. <laughs> That'd be funny for about 10 minutes, but then afterwards, just be depressed. Yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd be sitting there like, this is a bit of laugh. And then about 15 minutes later, like, oh shit, we're going to be yeah. playing fucking Astro Gugu next season. Imagine Roy Hodgson just giving one to the cop. Just, <laughs> so Roy weird. Hodgson runs onto the pitch last minute. Bosh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, something's out of on. I think that just about does that for this week of the podcast. We'd like to thank Daniel again for for joining us for a very interesting interview. And I really hope that you enjoyed that also. We'll believe Daniel's Daniel's interview will be going up on his clip on YouTube and we'll be tagging his socials. So make sure to check him out. He's a great book out there. So check that out also. Yeah, don't forget to give us an L review on Apple Podcasts. The reviews, they go a long, long way. Uh, tell your friends about us. Sub to us on YouTube. Give the videos a like. All very, very appreciated. Doesn't go unnoticed. And anyways, that is the penultimate episode of the podcast. And we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.